Hey, thinkers. This is a thinking podcast with your host, Jeff Wu. And I'm Michael Brandt. And this is one of our first episodes back where it's me and Mike going old school. We had a string of awesome guests over the last few weeks from Aubrey de Grey, famed gerontologist. He's leading the battle against aging to Professor Khan Stau, who's one of the leading researchers on Bacopa, one of the core components of our RISE nootropic stack, and to Sumaya Kazi, a fellow entrepreneur and actually gaining a lot of fame as an intermittent fasting guru where she lost 50 pounds in seven weeks. An awesome episode, especially to our listeners who are female without many female sort of biohackers out there. So a great uh, prototype for females in biohacking. And we hope to get more people from all different walks of life, men, women, researchers, academics, biohackers, video game players, whatever, people that we think are interesting. Um, So for this week, we want to talk about our protocols as biohackers. One of the most common questions that we get is, you guys talk about biohacking all the time. You guys run a nootropics company. What the hell do you guys do? Um, So let's actually dive into that and actually tease into exactly what our protocol looks like. And to really kick it up to the next level, actually open source it and run a challenge, if you will, for our biohacking protocols. So what that means is um, creating a GitHub repository with our protocol. So it's open source where you can create your branches and pull requests and provide feedback. And also we'll have this on our thinking uh, magazine that will have the link uh, in the description where we talk in detail exactly what we're doing. But basically it's measuring uh, and starting formally a, a preferred intervention method with different biohacks. For us, it will be nootropics and intermittent fasting, and then measuring a bunch of different biometric endpoints. And, and we'll get of, into that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of what we're trying to do here is there's, there's basically two ways that we're optimizing here for the, in the selection of the products that we're using, right? The first thing is we want to collect as much data as possible. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And so we want to find just the most data as possible. The second thing is we also want it to be easy to use. There's, we're not going to spend five hours a day doing blood tests or other complicated stuff. We're not going to spend $100,000 doing this. So it's this balance of robustness of data with ease of use and, and ability to actually maintain it. Because actually, if it's easy to use, then you'll, you'll actually do it and then you'll have the measurement and then you can manage it. So they're actually very related. We want to get a lot of data and we want to have something that's as easy to use as possible. And it's exciting because a lot of companies are working on different devices and there's different stages. For some things, we're going to have to go to a lab. For other things, we can buy it online and it comes to our house. And we're going to use these tools to measure different things. And we're, we're, for everything that we're measuring, we're, we've done a lot of research and talked to and a lot of finding doctors. the best of class per endpoint. Yeah, and I want to just go, before we dive into the exact protocol, just highlight why we're even doing this. I mean, I think the notion of biohacking here is really, we want to be the best versions of ourselves as possible. And again, if you're not measuring things, how can you even improve it or optimize it? So it's natural from our engineering roots and our biohacker roots. If you're not measuring it, well, let's measure it. So understand what's going on. And then let's start tweaking and optimizing ourselves for the different endpoints, including productivity, different health markers, and be the best version of ourselves as possible. Um, and I think, secondly, why we want to open source this is 
we want to hopefully be a catalyst for our listeners out there, our thinkers out there, to be more thoughtful about their inputs and their regimens. Um, if you're not thoughtful, that's a default. You're, you're, society is giving you a regimen which is based on you know, 1970s medicine of like a lot of carbs and a little bit of fat and, and whatnot, the, like the food pyramid that we all saw growing up. Um, so let's be thoughtful. Uh, and, you know, obviously our protocol is not necessarily a rigorous clinical trial in the lab. Well, yeah, it's just the two of us. Like it's it's fundamental, us. like no matter how g- good we are at adhering to it, it's still just two of us. Right. So I think it's important to say like, yeah, then why are we doing it? I think we're looking to confirm we're looking to see how things match up with the science that's been done at a large scale and see, hey, that was, that's interesting. This paper was done about 200 people, and now we're seeing similar results in ourselves. Again, we're not drawing a hard conclusion from just two people, but it is cool to match up our own personal biology to what the science says. Exactly. And then we can figure out what works best for us and what doesn't. And hopefully, you know, our doing this biohacker challenge and open sourcing also is a catalyst for more people to get involved and join us, right? Again, we'll have our WeFast Slack group, WeFast Facebook group as areas where people can join in on the challenge. Um, and yeah, we'll have links everywhere pointing to all the places where people can collate and share and, and trade ideas here. I think one of the one of the other key things to mention that we ta- we've talked a lot about as we've been developing this is, yeah, it's just the two of us. Right now, it's two people. We're not going to be able to produce groundbreaking science with n equals two but what's really interesting is as we're exploring the different products and ways of, of capturing all these biological signals we're really interested in actually doing massive distributed science so the goal is to have as we're exploring the space is to actually come out with like an official test and have that distributed to thousands hundreds yeah, of thousands let's of get ten thousand people doing citizen science um, I think if you look at how science is done, you know, a big clinical trial is 100, 200 people, right? Most of these trials, if you actually look at the papers, uh, you know, a 30-person trial will be a good phase one for a lot of different interventions. Um, why are those numbers so low? Like, why? It's, it's expensive. That's the thing. It's expensive to run clinical trials, right? So you have to bring someone into your lab, te- you know, test different compounds, measure them, and that takes a, a graduate student, a lab assistant, and if it's over an extended period of time, like for us, we want to do our biohacker challenge for 90 days, you got to bring them in three times, multiple times to measure all these things. And these tests aren't cheap. And for better or for worse, science funding is a pretty small expenditure. So a big grant for a lab is like a million dollar grant. That's like, that makes you a huge big deal professor if you have a million dollar grant. And a million dollars distributed over 10,000, 100,000 people is nothing. I think the cool thing about biohacking and having more technology is that we can more and more people can get involved at a cheaper price and because we have technology to track and keep people in line people can be running their collecting their own data and because it's so much more population there will be some variance but it gets blown out by because of a huge sample size they cannot replicate in the lab and that gets us excited as technologists right where you when you see factors of 100x or 1000x that that the cost of doing science is a, a thousand x cheaper. That starts to ring all sorts of bells, right? When you're saying, "Oh, whoa, this isn't just like marginally better," but that, hey, we have these devices. And we'll go into everything in a minute. We we have these devices that we we're ordering off of the internet that people can just have, and hundreds of thousands of people can have, millions of people can have them, and 
and they can all be participating, contributing data and trying similar interventions. And we can be doing massive science on a much larger scale for massively cheaper. And so right now it's the two of us exploring what are the best, what are the state of the art user experiences? How do we collect the data? How does this work into our lifestyle? With the, but the goal is, yeah, we're, we're putting together. Let's, let's all come together and make this. I think biohacking is going to be for everyone. And let's put the steps together to, to make that happen. It's very much like we always talk about how in the early days of computers, when, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, when, when people were in the basements putting together their teletype terminals and, and figuring it out. I think we're very much in that same space right now where to be a good biohacker, you're buying 10, 20 products from different companies and you're trying things out and you have to be very uh, enthusiastic about it. But the barrier to entry is going to cut in half like by the year, I would right. say. It's going to get easier and easier for people to be biohackers. So, And we're, we're going to push it forward. Cool. Yeah. So enough said about the theory, the motivations, the, the vision here. Let's, let's talk about the protocol to give you guys all a sense of what we're talking about um, and again, the detailed protocols will be posted on, on various links to our GitHub and to the, to the, uh, thinking, uh, blog post. So we obviously want to get a good baseline and Michael and I have been using nootropics, Nutribox stack, and also intermittent fasting basically for the last, you know, couple years. So we've actually been washing out, uh, our nootropics regimen, uh, for the last, two, three, four weeks now. So we're going to do a 30 day washout period to just make sure that, Hey, we're going to get to a baseline where, uh, we're not seeing the intervention that nootropics will be doing to our systems. So that's like day negative 30. We start off with a washout period. Once we hit day zero, we'll do a snapshot where we do a bunch of different lab tests and we begin our preferred biohacking regimen and our preferred biohacking regimen will include the Nutribox full stack, our rise Kato, and then sprinting on as necessary plus our 36 hour weekly monk fast. So we, that means we don't eat on, uh, we stop with our last meal, Monday dinner, don't eat at anything for Tuesday and break our fast Wednesday at our biohacker breakfast in SF every week. Um, and then we'll be doing a, a whole bunch of different uh, endpoint measurements that are being done continuously on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and what we call on a snapshot basis which will be doing lab tests and more intensive tests. So we have snapshot one when we just start. Uh, snapshot two will be on day 45. And then snapshot three will be day 90. And that will give us a good sense of three months of very rigorous tracking on a specific protocol. And so that's a high-level framework. And then let's dive into the, exactly the buckets of endpoints that we're talking about. So and again, just so everyone knows, this is all in, in our blog post on our Thinking Online magazine. So right. we're going to talk through it and talk about some of the interesting... We're going to highlight a few things about the details when we can nerd out that we'll, we'll have. Yeah, the, the links to buy it, to look it up. We definitely encourage people to check out the, the blog post that accompanies this podcast. But we're going to talk through a lot of our thinking and decisions that went into the different protocols that we'll be doing. Cool. Yeah, so to make it simple for us to just talk about as you're driving or listening at your desk, one broad bucket is continuous, monitor, continuous monitoring. So things that are sort of passively tracking what's going on, daily monitoring, uh, things that we will do every day to track certain endpoints weekly, and then the snapshots. Um, so let's start easy, continuous monitoring. A couple really easy things that we're going to be doing are 
wearing Apple Watch and Jawbone. And these are um, really simple wearables that will allow us to track heart rate, steps, and general activity monitoring. We'll be using some software like Cardiogram, which is an Apple Watch uh, software made by one of my friends, Brandon Ballinger, who partnered with UCSF to make a really, really high uh, fidelity heart rate tracking device. So, what are they using that for? Uh, so, so in the clinic, they're trying to detect and predict heart attacks. That's incredible. Um, but for our use case, let's like tease into the data on how our heart rate could or might change on fast or on nootropics. And that's interesting because a lot of the science around certain nootropics is that they're anxiolytic, they reduce stress, and so it could stand a reason. Like heart rate is just a really obvious one to right. be measuring. Yeah. Right. Um, we'd love to measure skin galvanic response. I believe that might be out on Apple Watch Two or, or some other wearables. But I think at this time, um, and why skin galvanic response is interesting is because it's associated with sweat, which is correlated to stress. So there's a a broad association with stress monitoring there. Um, and one thing that's really cool just about these devices, this Apple Watch and Jawbone that we have here, is that these are totally consumer devices. Right. And, and it's interesting because, you know, 10 years ago, this didn't exist. If you wanted your heart rate or, or if you wanted to track your sleep or something, you, you weren't doing that at home. Right? Right. It wasn't possible. Now it is. You have to go to the hospital do a sleep trial. Yeah, and we're seeing... You know, some there's there's a consumerization of certain things for measuring these biomarkers, and it's yeah. really cool to see. Yeah. So our Apple Watch will be sort of our daily in the day wear, and then our Jawbone will be primarily used for like sleep tracking. And we'll obviously there's some battery life stuff, but basically that will be sort of the high level thinking around those two aspects. I want to bring up the Freestyle Libre. I know you've been doing a lot of research around this interesting device, so I'm gonna let you talk yeah. about it, Michael. Freestyle Libre is really interesting, and the context there is that it's actually for diabetics. It's for people, I mean, people with diabetes, it's important for them to always measure their glucose levels so they know if it's high or low, their body This has is their blood sugar. So to fill in the context, if you don't have sugar in your system, your brain dies. So obviously diabetes, you can't process sugar, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah, and, and too much sugar in your blood is also a bad thing, so that it becomes necessary to monitor it. And the kind of status quo of how people monitor is with finger pricks. You, you literally jab a pen, a, a, a needle into your finger, draw some blood, measure it on a strip. That's, that's how people typically measure their glucose levels. And there's really interesting new technology, this really interesting new product, uh, the Freestyle Libre. And the way that Freestyle Libre works is it comes with a, a sensor and it's basically a Band-Aid with a little, little kind of prick on it. So it's a it's very small prick. It's basically like a, I would, I would classify it as like a baby implant. So we're going to be, I mean, I'll, I'll let you like sort of walk through what works, but it's basically like we're going to be implanting continuous glucose monitoring chips into our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. You take the, you take the sensor, the, again, the band aid with the little prick, and then you take the applicator, you put the sensor onto the applicator and then you put the applicator onto your arm or wherever. And then you, you press the sensor in and and then it's there. It actually stays there for two weeks. You take showers, you live your life. Uh, and the way, that, the way that you measure your glucose levels is you take the reader and you just swipe it right by the right. sensor. And then it will tell you what your glucose levels have been for the last eight hours. So it's really cool. There's a, yeah, there's a chip in there. It's, it's a quasi-implant. It like sits on the outside and on the inside of your body at the same time. And, and it will tell you your glucose levels. It's really yeah, cool. I would also preface that 
we had to acquire this from England because it's considered a medical device in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to be prescribed this. It's actually interesting. So in the United States, the Freestyle Libre is not available. There's something called the Freestyle Libre Pro. And the way the Freestyle Libre Pro works is you actually have to go to your doctor's office. It's a doctor office. prescribed thing. Yeah, and your doctor will put it, put the sensor on you. The sensor will remember two weeks of data instead of just eight hours. It will remember two weeks of data. But the catch is you don't get the reader. You have to go back to the doctor, and the doctor will scan your patch. Yeah, I mean, I think like the key thing there is that it's interesting to sort of American medicine that, for better or for worse, the American FDA and medical system wants to keep the doctors in the loop, which in a lot of cases is important, right? You don't want to be making medical decisions without a medical professional. Um, but from a pure biohacker standpoint, it seems a little bit restrictive to like reduce information out there. Right. So I think as technologists, uh, as curious people, you know, and, and we, I think it'll be inevitable that information is more and more available. So I think that's like the struggle that we've even seen with like 23andMe uh, running to a little bit of a regulatory issues before. But. Yeah, because I'm just, I'm curious you know, if I get sleepy in the afternoon or if I'm having a great day or if I'm fasting, I'm curious to see how that correlates with blood glucose levels. So yeah. I'm really excited for it. One, one final thing about this, it's really neat, is just that they've actually done studies and compared four diabetics who use this continuous glucose monitoring patch compared to doing the, the finger pricks that people show significantly lower instances of hypoglycemia. So it's like 30 to 50% less. So that's, again, that's the main issue if you're diabetic is that you run out of blood glucose. And they're showing that this technology is, it is better. It's easier, less friction. People are able to check their glucose levels frequently. Um, so that's, that's just really cool to see that it's actually it's actually working for people. I think from a biohacker perspective, I think uh, all these biometrics will be done on a continuous level. We talk about daily, weekly snapshot monitoring. I think the real biohacker dream is we should be measuring everything possible on a continuous monitor, right? You just pull up your, you know, jeffwu.com slash biometrics and you see a live dashboard of like, okay, this is my glucose, this is my ketone levels, this is my, you know, my heart rate. And you just, it just constantly updates. And it's cool to see that, you know, in that study that uh, people with continuous glucose monitoring have been able to just manage their glucose and insulin a lot better than people that had been, you know, doing daily pricks. So it's cool. I mean, I think that that's the future of like continuous monitoring is clearly showing uh, effect in, in the clinic. Um, and I just want to just highlight a few other continuous monitoring things that we'll be, we'll be doing. One thing we'll be doing is computer productivity monitoring with rescue time. So this is just a little background app that you have running on your computer and it just tracks like your different computer usage. Like Facebook is, the, is considered unproductive time. Email or your coding terminal is productive time. So figuring out, hey, how is productivity correlated with different interventions? Um, a couple other things that we'll be looking at is using um, an alpha build of our own Nutribox software called Introspect for mood monitoring, uh, something that we're piloting with a few of our early alpha customers on tracking mood and cognition productivity. Um, and that covers the broad sense of continuous things that we're monitoring. So let's dive into daily monitoring. So these are important biometrics that we'd like to measure continuously, but the tech isn't quite there yet. Um, some easy ones that we'll be doing are body fat and weight, just tracking, hey, is intermittent fasting making us lose a lot of weight, what, et cetera. And I wanna highlight uh, ketone monitoring. We're using a breath ketone analyzer from Ketonics, and 
this is interesting because the two ways the body produces energy is from sugar or carbs or from fat. And when you're producing, when you're breaking down carbs, your body is going under what's called glycolysis, breaking down glucose for energy. Uh, but, and that's sort of what a lot of people are doing because everyone's eating a lot of carbs. But if you're not eating carbs, you're on a ketogenic diet or you're fasting, your body goes into what's called ketosis, breaking down fatty acids into energy. And the way to measure that is by your ketone levels in your blood. And so like it's, this is very much in parallel with continuous glucose monitoring. If you can understand our ketone levels, then we can understand how well our body is breaking down fats versus carbs. Um, so again, the technology there is very similar. So there's a lot of ways you could do this. You can either do urine strips, which you could also do for glucose, but that's very inaccurate. It's notoriously bad to like pee on a strip and, and measure ketone levels, or you can do blood prick as well. And we decided that, you know, pick, you know, pricking our finger four times a day is a little bit, you know, distracting. So we decided to opt for breath analyzing. So we can blow into this tube at this, this device and it'll read your acetone levels, which correlates to, there's studies that show that correlates really well to blood. So it's a cool little device to measure ketones on a daily basis against glucose and see how our fasting regimens, how our uh, nootropics are going to affect our ketone versus glucose levels. And uh, lastly, another thing to monitor daily is blood pressure. Interesting to see how our different protocols of nootropics and uh, fasting will affect that. As you mentioned, anxiolytic effects, maybe our blood pressure will be modulated on, uh, you know, when we're sort of anti-anxiety, you know, taking, you know, those kind of nootropics. And then let's dive into weekly monitoring now. Uh, obviously, a big endpoint we want to test for nootropics is how does it affect your psychometric performance yeah um so there's an awesome software suite uh that's productized from a research lab in cambridge called cambridge brain sciences that have free psychometric tests um so we're gonna do you know multiple t uh, tests a week measuring reaction time memory uh you know you know, those are the two key areas but concentration all, all those things and these are these are a lot of fun if, if people out there haven't played with them before they're they're kind of like computer games right they're they're like computer games but a little bit more simple and primitive it's, it'll be like a one single thing that you're doing right and you're getting tested on that one thing yeah so for example it's like memorizing amount of digits in a in a series right can you memorize seven numbers or ten numbers or you're seeing rotating shapes and is this a different shape or is this a, just a rotation of a current shape you're already seeing so those are a couple examples of uh tests and it's that are being used. And I think, to, and it's interesting because this is exactly how cognition is being measured in the lab. Yeah, and it's neat because these are really the building blocks of intellect, right? Like you're, in general, when we think about, oh, that person's really smart or, or intelligent, we don't think about, oh, they're really good at rotating shapes in their head or really good at memorizing numbers. But I would say that those are the primitives. If you're good at those things, then you're good. You're, you're going to be better at learning. Right. You're going to be better at understanding higher order concepts and connecting things together. So it's, it's neat because this abstract notion of like intelligence, and people have been studying for a long time how to break it down and measure it. And yep. so you can actually track like at the primitive level, how, how am I getting smarter? Or right. Not? Am I sharper today than I was yesterday? Exactly. Exactly. Like if you're reacting to things faster and recognizing that you've seen this pattern before, that means potentially that, Hey, you can like absorb information faster because you're reacting to things faster. So those are the ways that you build up like higher order cognition with these, these primitives, as Michael mentioned. 
And another weekly thing that we think is really cool is EEG monitoring. Um, so our friends at Emotive have a really cool uh, prosumer device where you just put this on your head and there's five uh, electrodes that measure uh, five different regions of your brain for different uh, electrical signals from your brain. So like sort of like how you can have an EKG to measure your heart electrical impulses. There's an EEG to measure your brain electrical impulses. So the theory behind this is that certain wavelengths of uh, brain waves are correlated to certain brain states. So like alpha waves uh, are associated with relaxation and theta waves and, and whatnot are associated with other aspects. Um, you know, this is something that's, I think, very interesting and very speculative, speculative in the space because like medical electrodes have like hundreds of diodes with like made of silver that they have to, like basically like very precisely placed onto your brain. Um, I think that prosumer devices, obviously five electrodes are all, you're wearing a headset. You're not you're like, you know, if I put it on, it's going to hit different parts of my brain than your brain because our heads are different sizes. Um, but hopefully we can get some signal, you know, in a general sense of how our brain waves are reacting to certain inputs. So that could be interesting to monitor. And then lastly, the snapshot monitoring, which is the most heavy duty things because we're doing this three times, day zero, day 45, day 90. And what I mean by this is really a battery of doctor prescribed tests. So we're working with Dr. Vin no, a practicing doctor in San Francisco, uh, who we've gotten to know over the last couple months working together on building this protocol out. Um, he's gotten recent sort of publication or, or, or fame from being one of the interesting doctors who's working with biohackers in San Francisco. Anyways, a lot of these tests are doctor prescribed, and that includes things that, that will be pulling from our blood, from our urine, from our saliva, and from our stool sample. Uh, so we'll be going to the lab and, and giving up all these bodily fluids and measuring all these different things. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's a again we're we're really bringing together a lot of different a lot of different things. Like the same, we're going to literally need to draw a different blood to go to this test versus to go to that test. Right. There's it's involved. And it's, that's, that's part of why this is uh, snapshot based. It would be cool to do this every day. I, it would be cool if there was a device inside of us that could measure these factors and it was cheap and uh, zero effort. But that's just, it's not where the world is at today. Right. This stuff's expensive. It's, it's rather involved. It's super robust data though. So we want to do it. Exactly. And there's a bunch of different things that we're measuring as endpoints here. But I just want to highlight a few things on this, on this episode here. One thing that I think is interesting is uh, a neuroendocrine panel. And it, it, I want to just highlight this because it's very hard to measure neurotransmitter levels. The only real way to do that is to do a spinal tap or a brain tap, literally like pulling out fluid from your brain, uh, which we're not going to do because that's you know pretty invasive. But I think what we can get signal from is a lot of these byproducts are urinated out. Uh, but I would want to have a caveat there by saying that Actually, our body, like our gut, actually produces different neurotransmitters as well. So we'll get some conflation between what's actually from the brain and the spinal fluid and what's in your you know, system broadly. I think it at least gives us a snapshot, some broad understanding of how our neurotransmitter levels are being affected by nootropics. A couple other things to shout out are stool sample. I think the microbiome is something that we've talked about as something that's like a super interesting understudied area of human biology where there's just as many foreign bacterial cells in our system as uh, human cells. 
So a lot of people have called this like the missing organ where, yeah, there's a ton of, like there's more bacteria in our system than probably like the cells in our heart or our brain, right? Um, companies like Ubiome are also doing really good microbiome tests. So shout out to our friends at uh, Mike, uh, Ubiome. But we'll be doing a, a medical grade, uh, you know, a Genova, you know, stool sample with a lot deeper data there. Um, and I guess, you know, what are the other things that's worth calling out here? Um, when Peter Bowes, uh, reporter from the BBC, came and visited us last week, he is actually a big intermittent faster. So he's actually participated in a USC longevity trial with Walter Longo's group. And one key endpoint they were measuring on that trial was IGF-1, which is insulin-like growth factor 1. And that's uh, a protein that's associated with cancer rates. So you know, IGF-1, higher levels of that is correlated to cancer growth. So that's something that we're interested in measuring as part of our fasting regimen and as a part of you know, the, the biohacking regimen. Anything else we want to call out here that would be interesting? Um, a couple other things that are interesting are you know, we want to measure our VO2 max and body fat. So we'll actually be working with uh, UCSF lab to actually go into the clinic and do professional grade body fat percentage measurements in, like a, in a pod and then do VO2 max testing, which will be fun to see if our endurance or we're losing any power while we're doing all this fasting stuff. Because I think my concern or I think a lot of people's concern when they talk to us, like, hey, you're fasting. Are you dying? Like, are you starving? Are you getting weaker? Like, we know anecdotally that, hey, we feel stronger and sharper than ever. And let's get the data to show, that, show you that, hey, you know, our power is still there. Our body fat percentage is improving. We're super cut and powerful. So these are some awesome, you know, we're excited to, you know, go underway here and, and start measuring all these things. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Some of these things are so valuable to be measuring it's, I wish, I do wish that there was something that we could just implant. I wish we could just like wave a magic wand and have an implant that would just tell us all these things on a constant basis. If you just constantly know your IGF-1 and you constantly know, you're constantly tracking other things that correlate with that and, and different health measurements. That, that's the dream. We're doing the, the best we can with what's available. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the dream. I think that will happen but let's all get there. Let's all help, you know, the whole community, the whole world to get there. Yeah. So, yeah, so just to wrap up here, um, all this in a lot more detail than we've gone over in this podcast will be on the Thinking Magazine at thinking.nutribox.com as well as an open source GitHub repository that shows the protocol and, and, and you can, you know, make a branch off of it, alter the protocol any way you want to make it your own. Uh, you know, also, you know, submit pull requests. If you want to edit some things that we're doing that we, you think that is, could be done better, submit that pull request to us. We'll have guidelines on how to submit that. We really want to make this, you know, an open source community project here. And we're just two uh, biohackers with a lot of experience and, 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 and done quite a bit of homework, but we know that we're not the end-all be-all. There's a lot of smart people out there constantly looking at this stuff, and we want you to be involved with us on this Biohacker Challenge. Yeah, I want to hear what's working for, you, for people. I want to hear what they're measuring. I want to hear improvements that people have made, actionable things that people right. have been able to do based on measurements that they've been taking. Exactly. Yeah, so when you guys sign up or, or, or look at the Biohacker Challenge, Join our WeFast Slack group, our WeFast Facebook group. So just search WeFast on Google or WeFast on Facebook group. Join those groups. We'll be, you know, that's an awesome group where we have thousands of people talking about biohacking, talking about intermittent fasting that are doing, trading ideas, trading tips. And we'd love to hear you check in 
uh, of your biohacker challenge and, and keep us updated and we'll just trade notes. We'll be posting updates in our, in our thinking podcast series, as well as in those different forums. So I want to just shout out those resources for people that want to dive deeper and do a little bit more homework here. Yeah. Cool. Thanks guys for listening. Yeah, thanks. And as always, you can check us out on YouTube. We're on SoundCloud. We're on the Google Play Store and where else? iTunes. Apple iTunes. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.